You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. As the end of 2023 nears us, it's normally a time to reflect on not just the good times of the past 12 months, but on those who have left us. And Scottish football lost a big character in June this year when former Scotland boss Craig Brown passed away at the age of 82 after a battle with cancer. We are looking back at Craig's managerial career from a podcaster's point of view and I'm delighted to be joined by SFF Technical Director Chris, Campbell's Football's host Dr Grant Campbell and SM Media host Scott McPike. Gentlemen, welcome aboard. How are you all? Good, thanks. Pleasure. Very good here. We're never sure what your title is and I thought, I'm just going to make one up. Very good director, sounds good to me. I'll take that. (laughs) And Scott, this is your second appearance of the week. You've waited ages to come on as well. <laughs> I know. I was. At, I think I was asked about two years ago, and for some reason or another, never, never happened. But yeah, two appearances in a week. It's been quite busy. Yeah, and Grant, um, I'm starting to lose count how often you've been on. Um, but it's always good to have you back. <laughs> More appearances than uh, anything else. I don't know. <laughs> you always <laughs> seem to find someone like me. I'm, the, I'm a utility player. I always seem to to do a job. Full <laughs> of uh, called upon when we need you. <laughs> it's, it's appreciated. Yeah, so obviously we're looking back at um, you know, um the fact that Craig Brown sadly passed away earlier this year because it's the end of um the year you tend to go through these things. So um obviously stating the obviously how did you all react when um the sad news of Craig's passing them came through? Do I kick off on this? Mm-hmm. I mean from my side, um Craig is a Scottish football icon, you know, growing up in my life, you know, I was seven at the time when Scotland qualified for France 98. Um, I remember very small snippets of the tournament, but nevertheless, I knew that was, you know, the last major tournament we were at until latterly under under Steve Clark, of course. And, And Craig was one of these guys who, you know, was never the greatest manager in the world at times, maybe, but one thing he always did have was so much character, so much positivity, and, and so much knowledge. You know, it was a real font of knowledge to not just Scottish football, but Scottish national team football as well. And I think every time he was always on talking about the national team or Scottish football or any kind of football for that matter, it means because, you know, he was a very knowledgeable guy on football Italia as well, don't forget. And he also had a spell, obviously, in English football as well. He always had a lot of knowledge of the game. Uh, he was always called upon for so many broadcasters, media, and also just talking about football in, in management circles, as we all know. Um, you know, I think when we all think of Scotland and the national team, we always think of Craig Bryan. And, you know, when he did pass away this year, it came as a great shock to certainly myself um, and to, I'm sure, so many other people. You know, the man epitomise what Scottish football was all about. He was a real legend of, you know, football, real knowledge of things as well. And, you know, I think it comes as a great shot because, yes, we heard he'd had, you know, a bit of a downturn in his health. And, you know, we all know that people never last forever. But it almost felt like that Craig would last forever, if that makes sense, because he was always one of these guys who always kept on going. He always kept on giving his heart and soul and his desire to, 
anybody who wants it, including myself, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. But um, he's a wonderful man and he'll be very so honest. I would say, yeah, I would agree with that. I think as well, we we knew he was he was unwell, and I think maybe maybe about a month before, I think I'd spoke to somebody about about Craig and how kind of how his kind of downturn had, had arrived. So I was, it wasn't it was a shock at the time, but I think obviously just with with the way things things happen, it's it's just when you hear that when you get that news, you're just as I say, you're just upset, and especially like. As as Grant rightly points out, he he was the first Scotland manager I remember. I, I went to my first Scotland game was a gate a friendly against Australia, and he was a manager, and that'd been about two thousand two thousand one maybe. And you have you have that I always say you have that affection with your first manager, the first the, the person the the person that was the manager the first time you went to a game, you always have that affection for they'll always be the Scotland manager in my opinion like, and that that's kind of the, the affection I had have for. For Craig and obviously got to know him a wee bit in the past kind of few years and just a lovely, lovely man. Just great character. Always talk, always would talk about football. Really fascinating. I've got a fascinating story kind of later on about how I first met him. But just a lovely individual. Just as I say, brilliant character for Scottish football. Just such a nice guy and such a shame that we're talking about. Talk, we're, we're in this situation we're in this situation talking about him because as Grant rightly says you, you had that feeling that Craig was gone forever and just it's hard now to talk about him as no longer there it's just it's, it's a difficult one but what brilliant man yeah it was definitely it wasn't a surprise when we heard given uh, we, we knew he wasn't keeping well but it's still obviously the, the saddest of news um, and what you guys for, for me it's uh, Craig Brown was the Scotland manager um, I, I, my first game I went to was in 1990 when he was assistant under Um but I mean growing up through the 1990s as a Celtic fan um, it wasn't the best of times so uh, most of my enjoyment of the 90s in football tended to come from the Scottish national team uh, and that obviously includes the, the, the stuff that Craig Brown did like the Euro 96 somebody just write a book about Euro 96 that's all might be an ideal <laughs> um, but yeah, because uh, the one crossover of the good times of both Celtic and Scotland is sort of summer of '98. Because what Celtic won the first title in ten years, and we were opening the World Cup, and obviously Craig Brown was the man that led us there. And uh, I'm joking about it, but I know I've read Neil's book on uh, the '98 World Cup as well. Um, and, and there's some really good insights into Craig Brown's thinking in that as well. So if anybody's got a bit of spare time, and Christmas is coming up, not too late to go and get a a book um, that's definitely one I would recommend um, there's a lot in there but yeah I was uh, like I say Craig Brown's the, the Scotland manager that I remember uh, fondly but I will admit it's probably more fondly as time has passed because uh, I'm sure we'll come on to it but at the time I may not have appreciated him as much as I should have yeah I mean the the, the one thing I, I just have to share because obviously I have got to know Craig quite a lot of the last few years and you know I've got Loads of stories I could tell to the Cowscom, but we'll um, we'll see about that later. But the last time I spoke to Craig was back in um was back in February um for obviously the upcoming book that me and Neil Dorte have written um and and then when um and he was obviously in his usual um jovial self you know he was giving them um, such great stories which I'll keep for another day um told people by the book obviously um but um but yeah when 
and then you know, so the the passing was obviously um, sad. I mean, it wasn't a surprise, but it, it was still a shock if that makes sense. Because you know, it was just like, wow, he's actually gone. He's no longer here. Because you used to see him Craig being everywhere. But when I went to his um, memorial service at um, the air race course, and it it was revealed then that the cause of death was cancer, and he had it since October. And to to hear that, uh, all I could think at that point was he was ill. I don't know if he was terminal at that point, but he probably knew he was on the way. Um, and he was still willing to give his time to me, Neil, to help us with our book. Um, and we'd he'd already spoken to us in Zoom, and we, um, we were looking for a bit more, and he agreed to meet us at the Park Hotel in Kilmarnock. And, you know, I just think that just tells you everything about the guy and how, you know, the big thing for me was um, he would he was willing to give to his time to anyone who wanted it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, John. I think he was one of these guys who, you know, just wanted to make sure that everybody fulfilled their potential. Um, and he was just a guy who just wanted to make everybody feel like they were developing as a person, but also that he felt that he could help shape people's journeys as well. And, you know, I think if the right people or the right persons came across, I think he'd be more than happy to help people. And, you know, I think that's the, the great thing um about Craig, you know, he was one of these guys who just who just loved to help and he just loved to tell stories. And I'm sure we'll, we'll all have a story or two to tell from our times with Craig. But he was he was just one of these guys. He, you know, you, you heard the stories, you know, you heard him talking particularly with guys like Tom Cowan about some of the stories or you know his appearances on the sports scene or his appearances on you know so much other things. But you know, he, he just has some superb stories to share. And he's such a good storyteller. Um, and there's not many people like that, particularly on the after dinner circuit these days. You know the way of, you know these sorts of events now, especially in this sort of 2023 era now. You know it's not like the, the days of the past where you could get away with some, you know, sort of kind of crude jokes and things like that. But Craig never, never really swore that much. You know he had some great stories to share, and you know even though he did swear at times as well, of course, you know he, he did have some fantastically funny stories. Even ones that didn't involve him, which was quite funny as well. I'm sure uh, we could save that one for another time as well. But he, he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And Scott, in terms of um, also how the media um, reacted, you heard similar um, things. One that stood out for me was like Tom English um, says that he met up for Craig, and it was supposed to be like an hour chat. He part um, he paid for two hours of parking, and then he came out to a fine because he was kept for three and a half hours. Yeah, just but he could talk. He, he could talk all day, and you you would listen. He was one like he was one person. Like I'll I'll explain where where I but I'd, I'd seen him. Like I'm I'm fee here, and Craig obviously stayed in press week, so I would see him occasionally and kind of things. And you would get that wee bit of kind of starstruck kind of thing. And I get it a lot, and I got it a lot when I was young, and I still get it now. Like when I see kind of players and things like that, and I used to work and. American Golf and Irvin, which was obviously where the driving range was, and you would occasionally see Craig with his son and his grandson. So that was when I first get in, get met him and spoke to him. But do you remember the night Scotland played Russia? Remember the play that was nothing each at half time and Scotland were all right in the mm, game. Yeah, <laughs> and then they just get battered second half. I can't. Remember. I think Clark was a manager. Somebody can correct me. point. I think it was. I think it was Clark. Yeah. So and it finished four now, and then the next day. He was in the shop and we were talking about something else. We are talking about, I think I was showing him something in his swing or something and I just said, oh, do you know fancy going back after that? Do you know fancy going back and another go to it after that? 
And we just ended up in this like forty minute conversation while his son and grandson are playing golf. We're just talking just about quiet. We're just talking about so many different things, and it was just to talk about himself and things like. That. And that's when I first said like what I was planning and doing with the channel. And he said, "Yeah, just give me a shout when you're set up, and I'll be happy to do it." And it took I think it was like a year from there or something, but ended up spent been on a Zoom call for about three hours with him and it was just such an amazing conversation. And I think I think we recorded half of that and then the, like I think we stayed on the line for like another hour just telling stories. He was telling stories and I was just you're just you just listen, that's the thing. Like you could just listen all day and it was remarkable. You were just so many brilliant stories I'd sent him. I remember sending him the right now. I'm quite a a planner when it comes to podcasts. I'd sent out obviously this detailed script and he'd sent back, he'd sent back, I've still got the message he sent back. Really like it, Scott. Would uh, would appreciate a bit of time in the youth, my time as a youth manager. And I'd only written maybe a line or two about the take obviously took Scotland to the final with the the UEFA youth championship against wasn't the UEFA, it was FIFA against the Saudi Arabian team with a minimum age was probably about 60. And we ended up spending probably about half an hour just talking about that game. And he said after that, he said, I want to thank you for just giving me the time to speak about that. Because people talk, people spend a lot of time talking about, oh, when I was a Scotland manager, but nobody nobody really mentions that. And I was like, and it's just that. And he, he was happy to talk about anything. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant conversation. I, I'll, I'll say it again, just the favorite, my favourite interview of all time. And I'm not just saying that, it was. And I remember after that, saying that, I said, that's the best interview I've ever had and it's probably the best conversation about football I've ever had. And we'd occasionally speak after that and obviously he took, he, he took on well and I think the last conversation I might have had with him was maybe December last year, maybe around about this time last year. And it just shows you, just like obviously he would have known he was ill but he was still talking away about football. Just a brilliant, brilliant man. I'll, I'll say that a lot during the night but yeah, I can understand. I think he would just talk and talk about football all day because that was his passion. Chris, you um unfortunately didn't um you you said to me you didn't get a chance to meet Craig unfortunately um but um you've obviously heard you know some of the the tributes now normally when um a celebrity passes um that I mean we all have people from our childhood that you know um pass away and you're sad and all this but with this one just felt that wee bit different because he gave that personal touch to so many people you know you kind of sense that couldn't you? It very much reminds me of when Betty Old died as well. I think they're kind of the same era. They're the same kind of mentality. They always had time for every single person they ever met. Everybody that encountered them always came away improved in some way. Whether it was just like a five-minute lift-me-up conversation or as you say, like a 40-minute conversation for three hours interviews and things like that. Everybody has exactly the same experience. It's always that really positive, couldn't, I couldn't get enough time with them. That seems to be the kind of uh, the consensus. So it reminded me very much of that. I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to meet Barry um, once, and I have exactly the same experience. So I could only imagine that just uh, how great it would have been. Uh, I've met a man like Craig Brown and and had that uplifting experience. Yeah, definitely. And um, as um, we'll move on to um, talk um, briefly about um, the experience that Grant had um, of having them on Campbell's Footballs. So this went live on, um, well, part one went live on the 2nd of um, February 2020 and then the um, part two went live on the 1st of March 2020. Um, as it turned out, it's probably the highlight of the year <laughs> for, for <laughs> Dr. Campbell. Um, but yeah, you obviously, if you just want to talk us through that experience, what it was like, because obviously I know part one, you he talked about Scotland and his playing days and part two, it was 
the latter club management days at Preston Mullow and Aberdeen. So also being an Aberdeen fan yourself, that must have been an amazing experience to know you went to his house, I understand. Well, before I go any further, John, um, I have to give a massive acknowledgement to a great friend of mine called Matthew Cantley, who set up the interview or set up the discussion with Craig in the very beginning. Um, I, I spoke to Matthew quite a lot. He's a massive fan of Ellen Reds, who are part of a fan club, a Aberdeen football club. And I said to Matthew, do you have a contact for, for someone like, a club like Craig Brown or anything like that? that I could maybe just have a, a chat to try to get a big name on my show, certainly in the, the very beginning. And uh, he says, yeah, I've got Craig's number. Um, I'll t- I'll, I'm actually speaking to him now. I'll, I'll, I'll tell him that you're you're going to speak to him. So I owe Matthew a lot for that. And actually, very recently, just off the back of us talking about when we heard the news, one of the first things I did was say to Matthew about it. I says, I, I owe you more than just a beer. I owe you about five or six maybe more, maybe a beer for the rest of your life. Because Matthew, if you're listening, we'll be, we'll be together. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, set up the discussion. This was obviously towards the end of 2019. So I'd set it up a good kind of couple of months beforehand. So at the time, I was living in Aberdeen. At the time, I was uh, housing for um, a contact of mine who kind of leases her house um, in the winter because she goes to Spain um, for the winter months because uh, obviously it's trying to be too cold in, in Scotland so she goes to, to Spain so I was housing um, and this must have been around about January time I did the interview with Craig so uh, I was working obviously in the city at the time and uh, I took a half day um, I got back to the, at the flat at the time and I was getting ready to go to, to Craig's house which is about half an hour away from where I was staying so I'm living in this uh, high rise block of flats at the time I'm going down the, the the lift as I normally do. As as my my flat was on the fourteenth floor, and I get to the lift and it goes down, and suddenly there's this big clunk, and I'm thinking, oh for goodness sake, what's happening here? And uh, of course the lift breaks down, and there's all this. I'm saying lift malfunction, and I'm thinking, oh god, how long am I going to be stuck in here? So the first thing I did is I phone Craig and I say, sorry Craig, I'm going to be running a wee bit late. Um, I'll, I'll try and be as quick as I can. And he was like, if you want to change it to another time, um, please don't worry about it. Be, uh, I'll be absolutely fine. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make a determination to come. And thankfully, um, about 45 minutes later, um, somebody came to start the lift and I was able to, to get out. I think I was supposed to meet Craig at six o'clock. I think I met him at half past seven. And this is at his house uh, in Aberdeen, which he was renting at the time. But I got lost finding his house. He then came and found me. Um, and... Uh, offered to come and pick me up in his Mercedes at the time, because um, he was still driving at the time in his uh, black Mercedes, which I thought was absolutely awesome to, to to have that kind of unique experience. So we arrive at his house, and he was telling me that he was living in the same block as Niall McGinn, he was living in the same block as uh, Archie Knox. And we get into his house, and honestly, guys, it's absolutely amazing. The amount of football memorabilia it's about, the amount of posters that's on the wall, um, but the first thing he offered me was a cup of tea. You know, that was the one thing he wanted to, to do. He was always wanting to make me feel welcome. So I talked to him about you know, the remit of the show and what I was trying to do. At this point in time, he was sort of talking about lots of things like watching Mourinho and you know, talking a little bit about current football stuff like that. So when we got into the show, remember, bearing in mind that I was there from, so we started the interview about, must have been about eight o'clock. And by the time it finished 11 o'clock, I wasn't finished. So I was there for three and a bit hours. Um, so the first part we're obviously talking about a scholar career, 
Um, you know, just really good to talk about that. But also his own career as well, because I think that was very important to give him the opportunity to talk about his own club career, because I think people get lost that Craig Brown was actually a very good player as well as, as a very good coach. Um, so really good to really tell that story. Um, and then obviously the second part of the show is talking about his uh, club career. But after the three hours, we, we were still chatting away. I gave him one of my personalised mugs that I still have in my collection, which is a unique sort of gift I had at the time. He gave me one in reply, which I thought was really awesome as well. And then he said to me, how are you getting home? And I says, oh, I'll just walk back. I'm only half an hour away. He says, uh, don't be silly. I'll give you a lift in my Mercedes. Where are you going to? So this is at half past 11 at night. <laughs> and he's and he's travelling me down the, the, the sort of Langstrack in Aberdeen. He drops me off the side of the road where I have to cross the road to get to my flat. And honestly, it was such an awesome experience. I don't think I slept till about half past two in the morning because I was just so wired just of all the information and just the surrealness of how it was all going on. So I, I not only feel honoured to have chatted to Craig Brown, Scotland legend, manager, extraordinaire, but I've also had the absolute extraordinary experience of being getting a lift in his Mercedes. I mean, you know, just an absolutely awesome experience. Getting a lift back to my house by a former Scotland manager is a memory that will last with me forever. It's just an incredible experience. And I have to pinch myself to think that I was there and I was talking to Craig. And I've had people like Guy Mowbray on my show. I've had you know, so many people that have done so much in the club game. But one of my best ever interviews, and it will always be the best interview that I ever do, was just saying face-to-face with a guy who's managed my country, who's managed the football club that I love, an Aberdeen football club, and just a generally superb guy. So... I know I've kind of wittered on a wee bit, but I think it's just an incredible turn of events as to how that story comes about. And it's, it's a story that will last with me for the rest of my life because it's a bit yourself moment and it still remains to be the case. It was definitely uplifting after your experience. Um, so <laughs> I'll get the crap Christmas jokes out of the way. Um, Scott, in terms of your Love own... Um, <laughs> Scott, in terms of your own experience, you've already touched on it that you'd met him, um, it, you'd arranged it a good bit before and then it finally went live on the 12th to 3rd 21, so you're then coming into the period where Scotland had qualified for Euros at this point, and, and that's the thing that I'm going to find strange for next year, because um, during those Euros, Brown was pretty much everywhere giving interviews, there was a documentary about him, etc., and next year he's not going to be here, I think that's going to be strange, so for you that must have been amazing getting to speak to him, you know, before the Euros as well. Yeah, well, that that's for Mister Brown's boys. I think it was called that, right? Yeah, that was a great program. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's better than Mrs. Brown's boys. But uh, how that? So basically, as I say, it was that was the the time I'd kind of arranged it with Craig was maybe it was definitely before COVID. So I'm going to say maybe late 2019, maybe. So 2020 obviously happened and set up the channel, and I am very close to. Tartan Army spokesman Hamish Husband. So round about that time, I was talking to Hamish about something else. I think it might have been we were doing, I think we're doing something on the channel about Scotland qualifying. I said to Hamish, I said, Oh, by the way, have you got Craig Brown's number? And he said, Yeah, because I hadn't obviously seen him during COVID. Uh, during COVID, I hadn't seen him in the shop or anything like that. So I hadn't really had the chance to to get in touch with him. And I wanted to make sure I'd had a bit of experience in an interview game before speaking to Craig. Because I wanted I didn't want to I wanted to make sure I was, I, mean, I don't think I'm a good interviewer, but I think um, I wanted to make sure I was okay before I got to a point where I spoke to Craig, like somebody of Craig's stature. So 
Spoke to Hamish, managed to get his number, gave him a phone. I think it must have been Christmas, maybe, round about, round about Christmas. And he said, yeah, no, not a problem, just let me know when suits you. So we ended up arranging it for, and it was the end of February. And we, as I say, we ended up spending, spending three hours. It was, it was fascinating because we were talking a lot about that time, like obviously Scotland getting to the Euros. And I'll, I'll always find that European Championships incredibly strange because it was, it was in, first of all, it was in Hamden, but it wasn't a full Hamden. And it was a weird, it was a weird time. I mean, we were in the house, you weren't able, it didn't feel like a major tournament, but Scotland were there. And that was my first experience of Scotland being in a major tournament. And I remember the nothing each game, sending Craig a text. And it was some, I think it was something like, uh, thank God Paul Gascoigne was, it was something, something ridiculous. It was something that like, was like a silly message about, thank God, because Scotland obviously done really well to get the draw, but we'd spoken about it. We'd, he told the story in Euro 96 about Gaza, the famous story of Gaza get, giving Stuart McCall and Ali McCoy both of his shots that game. And Craig had said that he'd obviously, he'd spoke to Gaza, something about getting a shot, or whatever, whatever the story was. And I'd sent him a text that night to say, that's some result. Thankfully, Gaza, a player like Gaza wasn't in that team. So it was something, we ended up just having a great conversation, a 10-minute text message conversation about the game and things like that. But, I mean, just, yeah, just speaking to him about, I wanted to, when, when I interviewed him, I wanted to make sure, like, I would have asked him something that nobody else would have asked, and that's what, how the kind of youth development, the youth thing came up. And I always wanted to make sure as well, I'd covered all of his his time, like you know, his obviously his relationship with his brother as well, which I was quite fascinated with, because obviously Craig was Scotland manager while Jock was was general manager at Celtic. So I found that I wanted to kind of touch on that dynamic with him just to see how what that was like, because it must have been a strange situation. Your brother's your brother's a general manager of Celtic, and obviously you're the Scotland manager. So it must have been strange, but I wanted to touch on that, and it was just yeah, just having so many conversations. But as you say, yeah, we're we're coming up for Germany, and Craig was Craig was in a lot of interviews because he was he'll always be remembered in my mind as the the only I think I think he is the only maybe him and Roxburgh the only men to take Scotland to a a World Cup and a European Championship. And of and our ex-school teachers. It's just it's such a fascinating story as well. And yeah, it just again, obviously it will be it will be a different feeling because like we're we're going to Germany and in this summer was I imagine we'll all be trying to get to Germany in some capacity, but it will it won't be the same because Craig was I always thought Craig was the man who if there was anything like whenever a new manager got announced, I remember when the I think it was George Bully get the job. There was a big piece in the back of, I think it must have been the Daily Record, and it said Craig Brown endorses Craig Levine to be Scotland manager. And that was always what I thought. And it was like, oh, that's the seal of approval. That means if Craig Brown thinks he's a good manager, he's going to be a good manager. Now, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I always viewed Craig as the, the gold standard of Scotland managers. And always I wanted to make sure when we did the interview that... I was it was a respectful interview and it was obviously some what Craig wanted to talk about and just to make him feel as if he had good good company. I remember after the the interview he sent me a text saying thoroughly enjoyed that and that that you'll always kind of speak to him as well. You you've all spoke to him to get that kind of seal of approval of the respect of that. Yeah, he's enjoyed that. That meant a lot to me and it still does. And any time I think of Craig Brown, I think of that conversation and I just think. 
I'm so lucky to be in that position to be able to speak to, and as as Grant says, an ex Scotland manager and the Scotland manager. Like he'll always be the the Scotland manager to me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um. Without doubt. I mean, Chris, Chris and I, we obviously um are old enough that we remember the Andy Roxbury or the well from the World Cup Italian ninety um on more certainly of Andy Roxbury and we felt blessed that he took us to two major tournaments in a row. Then obviously didn't get to USA. But then Craig steps in, and you wouldn't think of it now that the SFA, as you say, Scott, employed two school teachers. So Andy also was a headmaster that got the job, and he got the job, it was um, Andy who. But Chris, when he got the Scotland job, it was there wasn't so many questions. It's just a case of, oh, well, it's natural progression because he's in there. And to be fair, his, his record with the youth teams um, backed up, as, as Scott mentioned, um, under-16 World Championship final, lost in penalties to Saudi Arabia over 27s. And even with under-21s, he took them to um, a semi-final, having come from 3-1 down at Pataudry against Jet West uh, against uh, Germany and beat them 4-3. Yeah, but, uh, Andy Roxburgh was always harshly dealt with that one. And I think Craig Brown got away with it because he was assistant under Roxburgh. So he'd already been there and taken them as part of the, the two tournaments. So that plus is kind of back with, with, on, with the, the youth team was probably trying to give them a bit more leeway. Because, I mean, Andy Roxburgh himself had the, the 82 kids. So he had that in his back pocket before he got the... The, the, the A team or whatever you want to call them. Um, so but they, that never seemed to count for anything and to be honest I'd never heard of that until the recent programme that uh, Pat Nevin did so I mean well, yeah, well, I'm not old enough to remember it too, but so, yeah but I, I do think Craig Brown maybe got a bit more leeway because of what happened with Andy Oxford before it yeah Certainly made use of his fortune and we'll also come on to his record shortly but I need to mention that he was also on SFF podcast as well previewing the, the playoff against Serbia um, the playoff final and we did a three part special with um, Paul Mitchell um, covered it from the media side of things, the BBC commentator and with Gordon Shiak from Tartan Scarf covering it from the fans perspective and but I, I think even they will admit that Craig was the um, jewel in the crown of that that show, and he was in great form. You know, um, he he just recovered from. I think he dropped to an, an aorta, and he was, you know, he was just recovering and just, and still wanted to give his time, which again just says everything about the man. But he was in great form, and we'll play out the Stevie Clark clip later. But he was all he was also talking about um, a Serbian guy he knew in a. Um, that owned an Ayrshire cafe who sadly passed away um, in recent years. And, uh, you know, he was, and the Serbian guy says to him, I, we could even beat you at caper tossing. <laughs> um, but he was in good form that night, I thought. Yeah, we got a lot of good interviews that year. Mm-hmm. We had to, because <laughs> certainly lockdown issues. So, but I, the, the, the Craig Brown one was one of the best. Yeah, I remember him saying that um, at the end of it that he was going to put the tartan scarf on them um, if Scotland qualify. Um, right, before we um, come on, and um, I, I did actually put something out on Twitter from my own Twitter, and it got responses this time um, <laughs> about um, asking for Craig Brown, um, people's memories of Craig Brown. So I'll read um, a couple of them out just now. So Tom Brogan. Um, so spoke to Craig um, for their podcast when he chatted for three hours. He had no need to um, give us any time. He was happy to do so. He'd also done um, preparation for an absolutely lovely guy whose enthusiasm for football and football people's run through. Uh, Dan Williamson um, 
says that he synonymous with 90s football, for which people of a certain age is the era in football. I would <laughs> kind of agree with that to uh, degree. And he says he had the absolute pleasure of interviewing his recent book, um, which was about Il Phenomeno Ronaldo, because obviously Scotland came up against Brazil and um, France tonight. So he was even happy to speak to someone about a Brazilian book. Um, Clark Gallis um, from um, Tottenham Sunshine Appeal. Um, there's been two functions with him and gobsmacked to how he can have a whole room feeding out of the palm of his hands with his stories and we're pretty much covering that. Um, Kevin says he was at a press with St Nicholas Golf Club once for a Christmas dinner, 2019 he thinks, and he was at Sableside and just been awestruck with him. Gary Wright played golf with him a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> he went to the toilet at the halfway house and disappeared for 20 minutes, eventually came out and the team said, well that was eventful. <laughs> Uh, dear me and um, Steve Star says three days with an Aberdeen um, a couple of years ago what a man and finally Graeme Watt um, Jr. says um, that he see Graeme runs a charity football match every year for Castro Kids up in Aberdeen and Craig Brown managed one team and Billy Gardner managed the other and next year's he's going to um, they've renamed the trophy the Craig Brown Cup so nice touch from Graham and hope that runs well and that's going to be on Sunday at the 2nd of June and that just typifies what we've been saying isn't it? Everybody's got a positive story and I think that that's that's one of the marks it's like see when people die people are usually a bit more positive about even not so great folk but yeah, there's always people who come out and admit the truth if, if you're a bad person nobody nobody has a bad thing to say about Craig Brown because there isn't no. anything bad to say about him. Nobody's got that bad experience. He always had time for everybody. He was just a fantastic guy. And obviously, uh, John and I met Craig last January um, for uh, a meal out in uh, in Aberdeen at lunchtime, which um, was quite a surreal experience. And uh, we went to Prezzo in Aberdeen. Um, and you know, Craig was very much in top form. He's obviously just recovered from his, uh, his health scare that he had. And I think one of the things I took away, and I'm sure John will back me up on this, is uh, when we come to the end of the meal, Craig was absolutely insistent that he would pay for the meal. And we were both of the opinion that this shouldn't happen. And I remember um, him saying to, to John in particular that, um, you know, I'll only pay for this if you, <laughs> you know, I get this. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah what it was, um, I, I was giving Craig a gift. Um, it was a bottle of wine. Um as That's right. by his brother and um, to say thank you for doing the forward for um, my book which was coming out that year and Craig was refusing to accept this as Craig I need to give you something you've given me your time um, on interviews you've um, written this forward for me um, just take this wine he says I'll only take it if you let me pay for the meal and I was like well we can't exactly argue but no, God, I don't I, think I, your dad approved did he well <laughs> I was coming up to that I think uh, when I told my, my folks that I had my uh, lunch with Craig my dad turned around to me and says you let old age pensioner pay for your lunch. <laughs> and he was like, I would be obviously embarrassed. <laughs> and of course, I just had to smile and say, What can I say? I know that's that's just what Craig was all about. He just he was just a magnanimous person. He just had a heart of gold. And you know, he was just one of a kind. You know, he's irreplaceable. Scott, we had um a conversation on your podcast um looking back at um, France 98 which I found fascinating and I, and I remember saying to you a quote that Craig gave me on that um, uh, 
pre-Serbia podcast that we've done, Craig had said that it's always easy to pick someone else's team, and I said that it's easy for us looking back, you know, twenty odd years on, trying to pick the um his squad. And we were going through it thinking we should have um he should have picked this guy, that guy possibly. We would have done that. Um, there is one that he definitely insists that he sh- he made a mistake on. That was Alan McCoyst. I think we can admit that. Yeah, that was something I wanted to to touch on with him as well because. That was the the one, and I remember the the fascinating story he told me about that. And if you remember that season, McCoy's practically dragged Rangers to and nearly won the title. Like Rangers were really really poor, and McCoy's kind of come back for injury. And if you remember as well, he was he was in fact scores the scores the goal in the semi final against Celtic at Celtic Park to get into the final. And I think that I. And I think as well, just it's a diff- it would have been a difficult one for him because he clearly had at that point it was Kevin Gallagher was really good in that campaign. Got he had Gordon Jury, I think that Darren Jackson played against Brazil from right. So he had it was like a fourth spot. And I remember it was me and me and you, John, were going through it. It was McCoyst or Scott Booth, I think, was the choice. And you're thinking, like, really, like, there's no debate there, but I could kind of see where where Craig was going with that. Like he'd obviously wanted to go down a different direction. And if you think about, it, I think there's maybe I don't think there's many Rangers players for that time get to that squad. If I'm right, I think there's maybe one or two. Yeah, I think there's maybe two that two that qualify get in. But I think the I think as well. Like if you remember, McCoy was was very very active for that World Cup. I think he was in the telly every day and does the. Does the chat show as well? So it wasn't like he was near, he was staying at home. He was still at France, but I think Craig obviously had an idea in his head of how he wanted to go down. He wanted to keep a bit of continuity. I don't think McCoy's played very much in that campaign, and you could understand it. And I think we're seeing that kind of similar stage now. I think Steve Clark's got his own kind of idea of what he wants to do with his squad, and it's fair enough that maybe like probably Scotland's best finisher right now is Lauren Shankland, and it's maybe a, a similar comparison in the terms of. We can all see that Shankland wants to as as the as the kind of main guy you would want coming off the bench if you need a goal, similar to McCoy's back then. But the again, he has to as I say, it's you're picking a squad, a twenty three man squad. You're going to have to leave some some players out, and as well, oh, in England at that time as well, uh, England leaves out Glenn Hoddle leaves out Gascoigne, and that goes a very different way. I think McCoy's was respectful, and that can I think they actually developed a close friendship after that. I think they were I think they were very close in the back of that. And I think that's quite fascinating as well because as you say, like Gaz and Glenn Hoddle at that time went a very different way, shall we say. So I think there was a bit there was a lot of respect there. And there was and I think it was McCoy would have been devastated, but he clearly you couldn't get angry at Craig Brown even in a situation like that when you've been left out of a World Cup just because of how nice a man he was. You can imagine that being the nicest Conversation ever, can I think? Can't you? Like you can imagine, like being as polite as possible and telling telling McCoy that. So I think it's again just a testament to the man of. I think everybody just had that respect for him that whenever if something like that went was, was as disappointed as it would be, I think nobody could have been upset with Craig Brown. I think the fact he puts his hand up, subsequently well, he says, "You know what? Yeah. I was wrong about that." That that's a measure of a man as well. Mm-hmm. Many people would say, "No, no, I got my squad right." But he's he's put his hand up and said no that, that was the one. No, I think that's brilliant as well. I think, I think he obviously he had he obviously wanted to 
to go down a different route in terms of keeping the kind of continuity of the squad. But as as you say, I think he he would have been the first man to say, "Listen, I got it wrong." Like Morocco, for example, would have been what I would do for Ali McCoy's right now. And I think he'd have probably realised it then and there. But I think it's more a testament to Craig of how he admits that. There's a lot of managers who make make mistakes in the squad who kind of sit in that hill for the rest of their days kind of thing, like saying, like, oh, no, I was right to make that decision at the time. Craig admitted it, and he admitted it very quickly, which I think is remarkable as well. Yeah. In fairness, um, I don't think McCoy's could have rescued that Monaco game. Monaco? No, Morocco? Yeah. <laughs> Monaco, yeah. <laughs> That's a different um, kettle fish. Because um, Scotland did play Monaco against Estonia. Yeah. <laughs> but um, luckily that didn't come back to bite us as we discussed in our podcast. But um, we could have... I think Norway was a game that we really yeah. needed on, personally. Yeah. I mean, there was chances that possible fell to... I mean, no harm by Gordon Jury and Kevin Gallagher. I mean, Kevin Gallagher was injured in that turn. And Gordon Jury... Fantastic worker, but not prolific compared to McCoyce. And you just think if this falls to Alan McCoyce, the ball's in the back of the net. But no, it's that's just the whole thing about football. Um, that that was one thing he, he was definitely proud of was his record as Scotland manager and every right to be as permanent manager. Um, because obviously he had one game as caretaker, but as a permanent manager, it was played 70, won 32, drew 18, lost 21, a win rate of 45.7%. That is pretty impressive for that amount of games. And we also qualify for two major tournaments in a row, as we discuss. Probably one of the most impressive things, Grant, um, over 20 qualifying matches for those two tournaments, only six goals were conceded, three per campaign, and two of those were penalties. That's pretty good going. It is just what Craig Brown was all about. He wasn't about style. It was about being resilient and tough to beat. And I think a lot of current managers in this world now are all about, let's play total football. Let's play out from the back. Let's play this glorious football that's going to wow the fans, that we're going to beat teams 5-6-0 and everybody's going to be singing and dancing. At the end of the day, a 1-0, a gritty 1-0 win is just as good as winning 4-3. And I think that is what Craig set Scotland up to do. It was never going to be the greatest football in the world. But at the end of the day, three points is three points. And what I think I always think about Craig, and obviously going to talk about his club careers as well at some of the clubs he was at, but he always made teams tough to beat. Um, there's a lot of managers now in football, are seen as these firefighter managers that would get clubs out of relegation trouble or would try to move them up the table and away from the threat of going down from their leagues. Craig was probably one of the the kind of, uh, he kind of would epitomise them in, in, some t- in some respects, but what he did quite well was he was one of these guys that you knew you were going to have to play well to, to, to win games of football. And we, we've talked obviously a little bit there about um, France 98. That opening game against Brazil, I mean, what were we, just a little under or over 10 minutes away from drawing against uh, the world champions? You know, in the very first game of the tournament, I mean, you know, we, we obviously had to ride our luck a little bit, of course, but we get the goal with the penalty from Collins. And, you know, it's an unfortunate one goal which loses us the game. But, you know, one of the things under Craig that we did well was we kept a good shape um, under his tenure. You know, we've had some some big results under his tenure as well. You know, we had that, um, obviously, that great result at uh, at Wembley, uh, beating England 1-0, which, you know, people forget about because obviously we did lose 2-1 in aggregate, but going to Wembley again, the result was never easy. Um, I think Craig maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves in terms of 
making teams tough to beat. I'm sure we'll go on to talk about um, the club um, careers a little bit later on, but I, I think one of the things that Craig did was that he immediately identified what do we need to do to make us not lose so many goals? Um, and what are we then going to do to make us get the desired points to get ourselves into a solid position? And I think that's what he did so well. And there's a lot of clubs now in in the world that could do with manager like Craig was. Um, it's not going to be the greatest of football in the world because everybody wants to play the swashbuckling football, as I mentioned. But you can't keep getting away with that. You know, there is a time and a place to play it. And there's also something to be said for just being tough to beat. And I think, you know, it's not fashionable. But at the end of the day, if it gets your results, then surely you've got to be better for it. Very similar to Steve Clark, isn't it? So yeah. Steve Clark, I mean, I, I, I forget about the five goals you can see in the last two games, it didn't matter. Look at Steve Clark's uh, recent record of that whole uh, campaign, just up to those games, as we can see, we can see the three goals, two of which were against Spain, and all of them was a penalty. And that's, yeah. that, was, that was what he conceded in the time it took us to qualify. We, Steve Clark is following the same pattern, he's making it hard to beat. And it's a good pattern to follow because it works. Senior talk about that Brazil. Senior talk about that Brazil game in night, uh, France night eight. I think it's fascinating because do you remember? Well, obviously, I, I watched it back a few months ago, maybe for something else. We we're doing something else in the channel when we were talking about all the all the talk before that game was how do you stop Ronaldo? That was all the talk. And remember, there was an interview with Bobby Robson, and Bobby Robson was saying you need to stop and get in the ball. And to be fair to Craig, a master, masterminds are brilliant because Ronaldo is really kind of man marked out the game. I think it's Tom Boyd that kind of just keeps him really, really pucks in really nice on him that game. And it's probably the only game in that tournament apart for the final you would say Ronaldo's off the pace because Scotland, he's, Craig Brown makes it really tough for a player like Ronaldo who got into that tournament was on top of his game. That's the best Ronaldo was. And Craig Brown manages to get Ronaldo, as you say, it's a an own goal. Scotland maybe would have got a point out of that game, and I think it's just a testament as well to the. I, I don't think we could all. I don't think we'll, we'll go far and say Craig Brown was was a brilliant tactical manager in terms of attacking. I, I think we'll all say he wasn't, but he was brilliant at as you say, keeping it tight, keeping his shape, and making Scotland tough to beat. And that's what that 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 was his legacy, Scotland manager. Absolutely, and I, t- I tell you something that the. Him and Roxburgh were both brilliant um, for PR and liaising with the fans. Um, I love the story at United 2 of Andy Roxburgh stopping randomly at a campsite to go speak to Scotland fans. I just think that was that's something that's not been done before or since. But Craig Brown getting the players to wear the kilts, getting out into um, the Stade de France, what I thought was just absolute class. We looked apart that day. Mm-hmm. On yeah. such a massive occasion, he made sure we looked apart. That mm-hmm. was a Top notch consideration, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it did peter. Um, it did obviously peter out. Um, eventually, I mean, we we lost the year two thousand playoff to England. But let's be honest: if Christian Daly's header goes either side of David Seaman, we're winning that game before extra time. You know, I think Tony Adams came out and said, um, if if that had gone any further, we would have um we would have went out. Um, and then obviously World Cup two thousand two, um. There wasn't a lot of youth coming through, other than Barry Ferguson. There wasn't many great players coming through from the youth setups at that time. They were neglected by every team in Scotland, pretty much. So we were still calling on aging players, and we still ran close to qualification. But what I described as the two-two draw against uh, ten-man Belgium at home cost us. We were two 0 up with an out of play up against ten men, and we absolutely blew it that day. But you know, um, 
it was just it was just a shame the way it petered out. But as as times progressed, obviously twenty three years um, before we reached the major tournament, because Chris, you you'll remember after France ninety eight, there was some people saying that Craig Brown possibly should have been sacked after that tournament and stuff. I thought it was ridiculous because we'd fail to get out of the knockout group stage again, but. <laughs> it's only now that it's, it's properly getting acknowledged given um, that time frame where we didn't qualify yeah I think it's it's one of these very sort of short thing, short time thinking short term thinking well people are clinging to the one result so the one result people remember at that point is the Morocco game right? so they're ignoring the fact that we gave Brazil as good as we got and it was a own goal but they lost the game we Probably should have done better against Norway, but we still managed to get that one each draw and set ourselves up with a chance to do something in that third game. And okay, the third game went wrong. These things happen. And you can't recover for these things happening when there's only three games in the tournament. But when you look at his, at his time as a Scotland manager overall, those are few and far between. Like You can point to that one. You can point to the 2-2 defeat, as you put it. The other one I always remember is the one right pretty much near the start of the Euro 96 campaign was when we lost 1-0 to Greece and we beat them on corners. And that phrase, that he said that in a post-match interview and it stuck with me for years. And it's probably the one reason I don't rate Craig Brown when I was growing up with him in charge. It's only in latter years when I look back and go, you know what, that was a one-off. That was, that was a bad day. And the point he was making... Maybe it could have made it better. The point he was making was we were really attacking that game. We were unlucky to lose one now. So I, I think that whole idea of trying to get rid of him after France 98 was a bit daft. And then he, he did go on and prove that yet again we made it to a playoff. We only made one other playoff after that until such times as we call for Euro 2020. And that was the, the Netherlands uh, one under Betty Volks, which is the next Euros. We, we do not make these things that often. So to even see missing out so narrowly to England as a failure is a bit harsh because, as you said, if we get that second goal and it's a reaction save for David Seaman, there's no way he knows anything about that. If that goes in, even the English new people are running that. See, the other thing as well with that, the first leg, obviously, Skull scores the two goals, but I, I will think of that game. If Paul Lambert was on Paul Skulls, that game would have been so different. Aye, and Craig Brown said exactly the same thing. Uh, so for I me, it's costing us cheating. <laughs> so and so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's no that, it's that thing guys. as well. See, see, when you look back at that time after Craig Brown, and I think there's a there's a perfect, see, when only an excuse was funny, there's a perfect scene in it. Do you remember when Bertie Votes was Scotland manager? I think this must have been 2002. There's a clip of him in a phone book, and he's obviously making phone calls, and he says, would you be interested in playing for Scotland? And whoever's on the other line says no, and he puts the phone down. And that kind of summed up what was happening after that. There was a real struggle in terms of the, a level of player coming through, because even even in the night, Scotland had, a, Scotland had a lot of good players, and it just seemed to fall off a cliff after that. And I think that kind of was a, a reason as well. So I think Craig obviously had a great type of player, but I think it was getting to a stage at the end of Craig's reign where the, the level of player wasn't the same. And I think it was a struggle. I think it was a struggle. And I think there was a lot of a lot of other sides coming through who were just getting that better level of play. And I think it just kind of petered out. But yeah, he's got that famous victory at Wembley. France 98 would have been a different probably been a different story if they'd they would got the result in Norway. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's a great run. It's a great run to take Scotland to was it three three tournaments? Yeah, no, two tournaments. 
take Scotland, famously says as well, he said, if I couldn't take Scotland to Euro 96, was you know what I mean? It was only down the road if it was, do you know what I mean? He would imagine the pressure that they were on him at that point to get Scotland there. And Scotland are marvellous in that campaign and are arguably unlucky not to qualify for the knockouts as well. It's a Patrick Clive goal that cost them that and that as well. So they ha- he has a lot of things to be proud of with his Scotland reign. That's what I'll say. Like Towards the end, it didn't work out, but I mean, take Scotland to a World Cup in the Euros. Is unlucky not to qualify for the Euro the, the knockout round as well. So it's just, there's so many positives to take for his reign. Yeah, the Netherlands game in that Euros campaign is another one of the great examples of how hard we were to beat. Yeah, uh, I know there's a John Collins um, block on the line, shall we say? Um, but other than that, we that was a nil nil that we earned, and it was a really brilliant result. I mean, Patrick okay. Kleiner and Yuri Geller were the two biggest enemies of that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, bloody penalty. But I, like, I mean, I mean, you see it there. Patrick Kleiner was in that Dutch squad, and he yeah. couldn't score against Scotland. Yeah, and he's a lot of chances in that game. If you does, remember. Yeah. I think he's like four or five. I think Gorham makes a few brilliant saves as well. Yeah, so really unlucky. And even in that England game in '96, in you know, you know, okay, we lose the, the goal for Shearer, but you know, if only you know that penalty is scored at one, obviously, Seaman sitting over the bar, you know, should McGoist have taken it? Was also Gary McAllister took it, and then you have that absolute genius goal from, from Gascoigne, you know. It's the worst goal to ever see as a Scotland fan, but it is also one of the best goals to see as a football fan because the finish is unbelievable and it still will be replayed in the next 50 years because it's such yeah. a good goal. For but me, as a Scottish me, fan, it hurts to see that. Yeah, yeah, for me, there are three brilliant goals I can associate with the Euros. One of them is obviously Van Basten. The other two have scored against Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> one comment I forgot to... Um, Find it was Kevin Donner who was on the France Night throwback last year with me and Chris. Um, he says uh, we wanted to give him some artwork from our club in '98. It was a caricature we used on a T-shirt. Eight of us met him at the Park Lane Hotel. We expected a thank you, then a polite sod off. Four hours later, we were so okay, but we have changed to catch. He paid the um, bar tab. How nice! Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> One last comment I wanted to make about '96 as well. That Switzerland game. I know we won it one 0 We had so many chances in that first half, especially. But that goal from McCoyst in that game, I mean, he probably scores the hardest of the chances in that game. You know, he had an absolute hat full of them. And yet he scores the, the hardest one of the lot. But that was just glorious Scotland, wasn't it? I mean, we played so well in that game, but it wasn't enough, so. Yeah, it's just typical hard luck story. Um, but uh, t- speaking about that England game, Grant, I just want to bring this. Um, You know, Scott mentioned that, um, you know, whenever Craig Brown didn't pick a player or left someone out of squads, they couldn't fall out with them. Um, unfortunately, one player that did end up leaving um, the national team was uh, David Robertson, um, and possibly prematurely because he could have been playing that game left wing back because that spot went to Tosh McKinley. I mean, to be fair, he was being kept out by Tom Boyd for a good period of time, um, but then Tom Boyd ended up moving out in that back three. But I know from your bolathon, um, he kind of says that he had some kind of regret over it. Um, now, I wouldn't say that. Um, but Craig Brown told me in terms of his um, because I would never do that to Craig but yeah um, I think David Robertson has some kind of regret now from your both and then Craig also donated some to your event as well he does and and I think Davey is obviously you know a wonderful player and, and, and a lovely guy obviously I've had the pleasure of interviewing Davey as well as well as obviously being part of our cancer event this year in 2023 which we, we raised £25,000 for a local charity and Davey is our guest of honour at that event. 
Um, and I think one of the things I want to mention about that is that uh, we actually, because it's obviously a tribute to Craig Brown, one of the things that I will always remember about that is that when I said to Craig that we're going to do the event, um, we wanted to invite him to to speak at this event. Um, he couldn't manage because, unfortunately, it was his birthday, which is uh, on the 1st of uh, of July, which I think is uh, quite an apt excuse for, for not coming along to such a big event like that. But what he did provide for the, the Bolathon was a pendant, um, which was a challenge match pendant for any of the players uh, that were involved in these sort of friendly matches in the build-up to, to France 98. And um, it was a, I think it was a game against Malta, I think it was. Um, this was from 97. And he also took a book as well, which he signed as well. And obviously we wanted to create a company about the Cooney Maker. And then it was quite... It's quite a sad, obviously, experience because obviously he passed away before the bolathon happened. And my determination, along with my team, to, to obviously raise as much money as we could for the twenty-four hour event was absolutely fantastic. And obviously, Davy came along as well, and we managed to auction off the item to a friend of mine who actually lives in Dubai now, We're a massive Rangers fan, massive Scotland fan, and you know he's gone to a very good owner, and I'm very proud of that because you know that's what Craig did, and and you know it was a fantastic, unique. Um, football piece of memorabilia that that gentleman now has, and you know, is just uh, an absolutely wonderful man. Um, he wished us all the best for that bolathon, and as I said, we raised twenty five thousand pounds for Clan Cancer Support, a local charity in the northeast of Scotland. Which uh, I'm sure people who were involved in that bolathon who are listening to this, and I know I certainly am, I'm extremely proud of that. It's probably one of my greatest achievements in life, and certainly one of my greatest achievements in bowling. Um, and I've won a championship with my own club, and you know, I've done a lot in the game in my short spell of playing bowls since 2005, but I don't think many people have ever done a 24 hour event like we did. And, you know, to, to have, um, you know, Davey being part of it and obviously, you know, getting a, a, a piece of memorabilia that was also auction off um, in memory of Craig, just absolutely fantastic. So definitely one for the, the memory bank for me. Well done for that fantastic effort um, from you and your team going raising that amount of money for charity, um, for a cancer charity. It's absolutely phenomenal. And um, glad to hear Craig played his part in um, helping it along just before he's um, sad passing. Um, we're kind of running behind time and I want to get the, <laughs> to the quiz as well. Um, so I'm just going to skim over um, just a couple of points from his major career. So Preston... Um, Mid-table finishes, um, and he wasn't helped with the fact that Ricardo Fuller was sold from under his nose to Preston North End. There was a bit of cost-cutting at the time because ITV Digital were um, the broadcaster for the um, the, the champion, or all first division it was then, but, um, and I think a few teams get burned. But then he, he came back to Scotland to manage uh, Motherwell after succeeding Jim Gannon and took them from close to relegation zone to finish fourth in the table. Now, the ever-pragmatic Craig Brown team drew six each with Hibs in the high-scoring game, which he modestly puts down to the defence. That was actually Knox's fault and the attack was all on him. <laughs> just typical. <laughs> but that was just actually... I mean, and, and they got him to play off round in the... Um, Europa League as well, where they lost to Adensa. They came through two um, two ties against Scandinavian opposition before that, and then they they were fourth in the league when they left. I mean, he did a pretty decent job at Motherwell. Yeah, arguably did a better job at Motherwell than they went on to do at Aberdeen. I mean, the, the reason Aberdeen came in for him is because of what he did at Motherwell, and that sort of was that a year he was there, roughly. Yeah, 
100% agree. Yeah, yeah it was a and it was fantastic. Like you say, he got he didn't look to force. They were they were going good games. I think he initially turned Aberdeen down as well. I think he took it the next day. I think. Yeah, I think turned it down and took it the next day. I think that's right. I think that's six all. That's six all game. I mean, it's just one of the games I'll just watch back every now and again. I mean, the commentary from Ian Crocker in that game is also absolutely stunning. And of course, Bolton's penalty in that game as well, don't forget. So they could have actually won the game 7-6, <laughs> remember. Uh, people forget those things. But there's obviously a very great story, which, uh, you know, he, he loves to share that actually doesn't involve him, but it involves uh, Tom Cowan, and particularly Tom Cowan's friend. If you want to listen to that uh, story, you'll have to go to my uh, podcast chat to listen to it. But let's just say it was... Uh, Bit of a messy experience, shall we say, involving a lavi, which uh, <laughs> that um, I think is uh, well worth uh, a wee playback on my show, especially maybe on others as well. But uh, it's a fantastic story, and uh, yeah, probably the highlight of his career. That's six all, but that Odense run. I mean, they were so close to winning that shootout as well. I remember that, and you know that that was just the mark of what he did. He made, he made the little tough to beat again. We had players that could score goals as well. You know, guys like Djukovic and. You know, he made it very tough to beat. You know, he had some solid defenders in there. And they were a tough nut to crack, particularly for Park. They were a very good side. Yeah, I mean, when he went to Aberdeen, as Scott Raylan um, points out, he turned them down. And then there was a disagreement with the World Board, and then he went up the next day and became Aberdeen manager. And um, Grant and I, we're obviously both Aberdeen fans. Let's be brutally honest about this. Aberdeen were going down, and I think Craig Brown thought that that was probably the reason why he was turning us down in the first place was because he saw a team that was going down um and he was just what Aberdeen needed okay two ninth place finishes um doesn't sound um fantastic plus it was three semi-final defeats in two seasons um Chris stopped smiling um <laughs> but um but Aberdeen was such a bad place at that point that it was going to take a few transfer windows and when he left, he still left the basis of a good squad with the likes of John Hayes and and Niall McGinn and Russell Anderson was back and playing well at this point. That the, and Matt Reynolds had come to the club. There was a foundation to build on that Derek McInnes was able to take on. So the building blocks were put in place by him at the very least. Completely agree, John. And I think you know I, I remember the 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 game where he was in the stand where we we got an absolute thumping at Tyne Castle for Mark. So I think five nil, wasn't it? I mean. That was the lowest of the low. I mean, obviously, under uh, Mark McGee, we were an absolute disaster. You know, we were all over the place. We had no structure. We had no idea. And Craig came in and, you know, one of the first things he did was he, he, he brought in guys like Gavin Ray and Stephen Hughes. And, you know, I remember one of the very first games he, he took charge. And, and I went with my friend Alistair, um, who is a great Ross County friend of mine. And uh, we were playing Dundee. It wasn't the greatest game in the world, but we won 2 0. And in that game, he really uncovered Ryan Fraser, who kind of really burst onto the scene at this point. You know, he was, you know, causing all sorts of problems in, in that afternoon for that Dundee defence. And, you know, he really kind of came of age as the guys like Peter Paul, who was starting to make his way in the team at that point. But you're absolutely right, John. You know, he, he really set the, the basis for a very solid team. You mentioned Johnny Hayes there. Niall McGinn came into the club and, you know, played a big part. I remember one of the games whereby we're 3-1 down against Motherwell and uh, we came back to get a 3-all draw with, with two late goals. You know, that was a phenomenal fighting spirit that he installed in the club. Um, you know, I think one thing that maybe he regrets, and he certainly said this to me, um, is not winning um, a semi-final. And I think the one that he regrets the most is the Hibs game. 
you know, you get back to 1-1, that outstanding goal from Rory Fallon. And then one thing you really need is, you know, the officials to get things right. And, you know, they they, they miss a, a clear offside um, for the winning goal. And, you know, it's a result that obviously costs Aberdeen a, a place in the final. But, you know, I think what Craig did is, you know, we're, we're, we're coming up to, you know, what we're, we're over 10 years now since he obviously took the charge. But, you know, we, we, we Aberdeen are at, at the moment again, at the moment, you know, very unpredictable. You know, I think Danny McInnes really kind of had a fantastic time at Aberdeen, but I think he was really helped with the foundation that Craig left him in terms of, you know, the basis of a very good squad. You know, he had people like Jamie Lanfield and goal, you know, he had a, a really solid back line there. You mentioned Mark Reynolds, Russell Anderson was still there. You Barry Robson in midfield, you know, he will flood alongside and, you know, up front, you know, we, we had guys like Scott Vernon who was scoring some goals. Rooney obviously was coming to the club at the time uh, towards the end or towards the beginning of his time at the club. But I think, you know, the basis of a good squad was there. But if Craig can't come in, God knows where Aberdeen would be 2023. You know, have a bit of a, a kind of sliding doors moment a little bit because, you know, if Mark McGee had still been in charge, would Aberdeen right now be still in the championship? Who knows? But... You know, it, it maybe doesn't even bear thinking about any Aberdeen fans listening, but I, I genuinely think Craig Brown is a, a huge story and a huge checkpoint mark in Aberdeen FC's recent history because I genuinely believe we wouldn't be in the Scottish Premiership, certainly in our in our guise as we are of 2023, if Craig Brown hadn't been in charge of the club. Yeah, you only need to look at where they were before he took over versus where they were when he left. And as you say, it, 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 it went from... This team that got pumped 9-0 at Celtic Park, had to get that in there, to a team that, yes, thank you for the a, a team that <laughs> narrowly missed out in second place uh, in, the, in Derek McInnes' first season, won the League Cup and probably should have beat St. Johnson in the semi in the Scottish Cup. That's some turned around. Yeah. Yeah, mate, definitely, definitely was. And um, after, but He stayed on at Aberdeen um, after... Um, Retiring as manager, he was the director for a few years, and then um, he was recently a club ambassador up until um his passing. Um, I just need to read a couple of tributes from um our, the SFF team. Um, so first of all, Scott Johnson. Um, he said Craig Brown was absolute gent and the first person to football to respond to me. As a kid, I wrote him a letter and he replied, "I was delighted." Um, I feel it's only after years of heartache with Scott that we couldn't. Now look back and treasure what Craig did First Nation. He picked a team that would fight for every ball and was tactically better than many given credit for. So I think that's um definitely a fair assessment. Um and Robbie says that he sat at a table with Craig Brown at a Tartanami Sunship Hill event. Couldn't have um had more time for me. And I think that just echoes what we've all been saying. But let's hear vocally from um from our fellow podcasters, Dave Smith um, from our own SFF podcast and also Alan Riss from Hamden Noor who has contributed to SFF and then we've got a full interview with Hamden Noor host Andy Barge. In recent years, it's been challenging being a young Scotland fan. Um, obviously, we've not had the lived experience of the tournaments in the 90s but what was clear was that Craig was held in such a high regard due to the success he had achieved with the national team. And I think as I've, as I've grown, me personally, you never really appreciate just how good he was and how successful we were during his period in charge. But he's, even aside from that, the man, 
he came across as such a genuine, just a nice guy, a really nice guy. And I think I'd heard so much about him and I was lucky enough to meet him um, at um, John's book launch at Hamden. And he was talking to everyone. You could see even as he was aging, he he had time for everyone. And if he if he could have been there all day, he would have done, he would have done. And that's, that's just, I guess, a credit to the man. Um, yeah, a, an absolute legend in the game, and he set the tone not just for what we expect uh, as a fan base, but just what we expect as people and what we can kind of aspire to be. As far as the media and podcasting side goes, an absolute gentleman to deal with. I interviewed Craig on a couple of occasions. I've got a story for you, John. There was a time in which I was doing a, an SPFL uh, trust thing. It was at Banks D. And uh, Craig Brown was there speaking to representatives of the media. Now, he did it in all well, but that was with the newspaper journalists. So, uh, because I wasn't a newspaper journalist at the time, uh, I asked Craig for a one-to-one interview. He was running late. I went to believe Aberdeen had a board meeting that day, uh, the board of directors at Pataudry. Uh, but Craig thankfully gave me his time for three and a half minutes and we spoke football for three and a half minutes. We spoke Aberdeen, we spoke about being a bank steer that day in question. Um, I forgot now, but there was a trophy in uh, attendance there. Um, something that Aberdeen would, would love to get their hands on again. But yeah, absolutely brilliant from, from that perspective. From a personal perspective, John, we obviously, I was obviously present for your book signing, uh, the Scotland... 1990, is it 1990? I think it's... Fuck, Scotland's Swedish Adventure. I've got it in front of me. Uh, yeah, Scotland's Swedish Adventure. Uh, I was present for that. And Craig Brown was just absolutely brilliant. We spoke for 10 minutes. Uh, we spoke about your book, John. We spoke about football. We spoke about... Um, it's a sad story, this, but I'm going to speak about Andy Gorham briefly, briefly sorry, because... Um, that was the time he was diagnosed with his uh, sad illness and uh, we did speak briefly about that but Craig was happy to share some stories about Andy and that was the type of guy he was he, he would always show class in whatever he did now I never got the pleasure like uh, Dr Grant Campbell and probably yourself to be honest with you John in terms of getting an hour or in Grant's case two hours long uh, interviews but just whenever you were in, in his company Guys, I think uh, it was great that you were. Uh, I think it was great that you were uh, just blessed by, by, by what he was what he was saying. Because let's be honest, what he was saying was passionate. What he was saying was enthusiastic. But most importantly, what he was saying was uh, was yeah, significant for football and tangible for football. There it is, and I think there's a percentage and a perception of that that's slowly deceiving us from a beautiful game. Craig Brown, rest in peace. I'll have a dram over Christmas in the festive period for you. In this section um, of our tribute to Craig Brown, we're delighted to be joined by Hamden Road host uh, Andy Barge. Andy, thank you very much for um, coming on. Um, so it's nearly six months since um, Craig Brown sadly passed away. Um, when you heard that um, news, I mean, silly question, but you know, what was your um, reaction at that point? I think it was very saddening to know that another one of Scottish football's great pillars and legends had left us. Um, but I, I don't think 
it was all too unexpected news at, at that point. I, I don't, I don't think it was much of a secret that Craig was starting to, you know, head into his latter years in worsening health, and he did a few stints in hospital, as far as I'm aware. And yeah, um, I think the people treated that with respect. It's not like it was getting thrown around social media and in the news um, about, you know, somebody's private life. I mean, what some somebody's health is it's their business and no one else's really. But I think that the impact that Craig had on the Scottish football world and just generally the lives of people that he met, people were interested to know if he was doing okay or not. And when, you know, the rumour started that it wasn't looking so good and then when sadly he died then it was it was hard hard news to read or hear but I think that people had probably been expecting that it was heading that way for, for a wee while yeah, and the tributes that obviously came out you know it was so many similar stories um, you know that um, they would invite Craig for like a say half hour, one hour chat, and it would um, turn into something like three hours and things like that. He just loved um, giving his time to anyone who wanted it, basically. Yeah, that's it, it's so wholesome. I think is is probably the the word pure, maybe wholesome and pure. The way that somebody is so willing to give their own time to make other people happy. I mean, Craig, the last man to take us to a World Cup somebody that has made a massive footprint in the history of Scottish football and would prioritise others, from my experience, would prioritise others before himself. I mean, I I did a, a little interview with him before the Euros, just as a part of a little build-up piece. Um, we had a Zoom call and he was clearly not doing very well at that point. I think he'd, he'd had an issue that he then recovered from before I think deteriorating again, and when I said to, I hadn't spoken to him in ages, I didn't really know him that well, just in a an interviewing capacity. And when I said to him, "How's things? How are you doing?" and he basically told me what the last few weeks and months had been like for him. And I wanted to say, "What are you doing on this call? Why? <laughs> Surely you've got better things to be doing with your time than than this." And and he was saying, "No, no, of course I'm. Like, I, I want to be talking about Scotland and." We were looking ahead to the opening game at this point against the Czech Republic. And he would never have known if he hadn't said something. He looked really thin, but if if you if you if he hadn't said something, I wouldn't have jumped to the conclusion that he wasn't well because his spirits and his character were, were as full to the brim as usual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gonna be the weird thing when we build up to Euro twenty twenty four. Um the last Euros you know, Craig Brown was pretty much front and centre most of the um, build-up programmes. Like there was a programme about him and um, his team that qualified for the World Cup, and you know he was on basically any media outlet like Sky Sports, yourself, um, you know, any, anyone that was given his time. But and he'd normally be the first on, but obviously it's not going to be there next year, um, which is going to be a bit strange in a way. Yeah, and and not just to, because to speak from the experience or the recency bias of being the last person to have done it but because there generally weren't really any or many better that you wanted to hear from or speak to I mean there are plenty of instances worldwide where if a sports team 
or an individual achieves something, you could go to somebody who is relevant to the incident recently in time, but they might just happen to be quite rubbish to speak to or quite boring or um, not very engaging. Whereas Craig happened to be both of them. He was the last person to take us to a World Cup and he was the person that a lot of people loved hearing from at times like that. He was somebody that kind of captured the, the imaginations and the attention, I would say, of people. He had a great way of telling stories, uh, a charming person, a really good funny bone in his body and, yeah, liked to to de- dedicate his time to make other people happy by sharing those memories that he has himself. Yeah, and you were also lucky enough to um, speak to him for Hamden Noor. Um, so those um, two-part specials went out um, on 26 September 2018, um, your second episode, I believe, and then on the 10th of October in the same year, um, you had him over at your house. Um, I think the two recordings, um, by my calculation, just short of two hours. Um, you know, just what was that experience like, having Craig um, in your own house, kids? And the education he would have given you, because you were only born in 93, so you wouldn't have really sampled, um, you know, what he'd um, done in, um, to get to years in World Cup. Now, this this is one of the the more surreal moments of of my life. I think as I've gone on to work in football, I don't, I, I don't really get very starstruck anymore. But at that point, I started hand and roar as I thought there wasn't right, there's no dedicated podcast to the Scottish national team and only the Scottish national team. So I'm going to try and speak to some former players. Go off to a good start with Stephen McManus, good international career for Scotland. And then I suddenly get the manager that took us to the World Cup in 98. And I'm, Craig and I were from the same neck of the woods, so I was able to contact him through his family who passed over his details to me. And he was the one that suggested that I'll come to your house uh, we can just sit down over a cup of tea and, and we can chat. And it was as simple as that. It, my dad was a bit flummoxed as to how this whole situation had arisen. Suddenly, the Scotland manager at the World Cup in the Euros in the 90s was standing in his hallway. And uh, we were chatting away for 15 minutes. Then we went and sat down. He brought a book with him, uh, his autobiography, which he'd signed. I didn't ask him to. He just brought a copy of his autobiography, signed, and uh, and gave it to me as a thank you and oh we spoke for for ages and I think yeah you must be about right there he was over for the majority of the afternoon anyway and oh we deep dived it was absolutely brilliant we we were speaking about the uh, well first of all his upbringing in Scottish football and and how he felt about the national team in his younger days and his ambitions to the phone call with Fergie for 86 then Saudi Arabia in the late 80s was that 89, 90 and then Mm -hmm. Uh, and then on to what came after that in the uh, in the Euros and the World Cup in the nineties, and there there was barely a stone left unturned. But by the time the the hours had passed, we could have gone on for another two hours. If there was anything more to talk about, we would have because neither of us were bored. He wasn't showing signs of being itchy to leave and get home. My mum must have brought through two or three cups of tea for us both because we were just chatting the whole time. And he didn't lose, well, I was going to say he didn't, I think for a lot of people you could say they they didn't let the mask slip with their interest and intrigue. But it wasn't a mask, it was genuine happiness and pleasure to be talking about his career at such length uh, and in such detail. And he he was sharing funny stories about when they went abroad. 
I don't think I can remember any off the top of my head, but I remember when, when he left thinking that's amazing that he's been able to recall all these little details from 40, over 40 years ago now, I think. Is that right? 30? Yeah, well, however many long it have been, 40-odd years ago now, um, at the drop of a hat. And I, ju- I just find him, that was the first time I'd, I'd met him. I used to see him around Troon now and again when we were younger. I met him when I was four years old because I went to the Marine Hotel before Scotland went to the World Cup in 98, got my picture taken with a few of the players and I saw him then. And uh, in fact, that was one story that he, he sounded, still sounded quite bitter about, actually. He told me a story about uh, when somebody at Sky came to do a feature on them before, uh, I think it was after the World Cup. So I think it would have been qualifying for, you know, I think it might have been before the playoff against England. I think it might have been the playoff against England. And they were staying at the Marine Hotel in Troon and Sky came down to do a feature on Scotland and training and preparing for the game and all that. And I've forgotten the name of the reporter, but the Marine Hotel in Troon where the squad used to be based back then is on Craig End Road. And he told me a story that they they built the package of the or the feature and the reporter signed off by saying if England do get the better of Scotland or if Scotland fail to qualify, then could it be as such and the camera pans to Craig End Road? And he told that with a kind of wry smile, but I it, it bothered him at the time. I can remember the way that he was telling it, I could tell that it, that bothered him. But yeah, that was just a, a little instance of the little things that stuck out for him, I suppose. But yeah, we, we spoke for ages and well, the annoying thing, John, the annoying thing is that I got my picture taken with him and his autobiography, um, but the picture was taken by on my dad's actual camera, right? never mind iPhones or anything, on a yeah. camera, and it didn't have a memory card in it, so the picture went oh. nowhere. So, yeah, I was gutted because I couldn't wait to put it on the Hamden Roar Twitter and be like, second episode, got Craig Brown, here's me and the Scotland manager from 98 World Cup, and uh, the picture was taken, but it wasn't saved anywhere because the camera didn't have a memory stick in it, I was gutted. My dad's so careful um, about his photography, he really loves it, so he was kicking himself for that, but uh, yeah, but just generally, a really, a really special few hours to, to share with somebody, and... I was lucky enough to bump into him another three or four times uh, after that, and and he hadn't forgotten. He remembered my name, and and yeah, it was just it was clear to see that not only did I enjoy the afternoon, I think he did as well. Well, when I last saw him, you know, I mentioned it was at your boot lunch the day before, and um, yeah, he remembered you. So um, he doesn't um, he doesn't forget even in his um, latter days, he was still remembering that those kind of things. It's some record of Scotland manager. I mean, it was. Um, as permanent manager, it was um, played 70, won 32, drew 18, lost 21, qualified for your next six in France 98, and in 20 qualifiers, they only conceded six goals, three in each um, qualifying campaign, and two of those were penalties, um, which is quite <laughs> astonishing. Um, and then Euro 2000, as you say, we were in a playoff with England, and if Christian Daly's header goes either side of David Seaman, it's possible going extra time, or even we're nicking it before the 90th minute because we had momentum. And it's something that he, one thing that Craig was good at was stats. You know, he 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 used stats well to back himself up, and with that record, you can understand why. Oh, what an incredible! Can you say that again? Six goals over two qualifying campaigns. Is yeah, so we can see this. Three, we can see three goals in U96 qualifying. Um, one at home to Fairs, one at home to Russia, and one away to Greece, which was a penalty. And then in France, night qualifying, we can see two goals against Sweden in the one game and a penalty against Belarus. That was it. That's absolutely incredible, isn't it? 
No yeah. wonder. You have those stats pinned up in your, your bedroom. That's absolutely insane. And <laughs> you know, he, he, used, he, used, he used to talk. He used to talk. In fact, he mentioned this in the, the interview I did with him when we were talking about well, Scotland. At this point, we had Alex McLeish in charge. So this would have been around the time of the Nations League Albania Israel. So we didn't really know what was to come under Steve Clark, and I was questioning him on the you know the the suffering that we'd be under as Scotland fans and when's it going to get better and, and all that stuff. And and he was saying that the players that we have now were nowhere are nowhere near or were nowhere near the level as the players he managed in the nineties. And I'm not sure about that. I I don't think the players in the nineties were far, far better than the ones that we have and have had at our disposal over the last decade. I would put it to Craig, and I know like it's very well. He's a very modest guy. Okay, that's pretty clear. But I would put it to him that they were so good because he was so organised as a coach. Maybe like what we're seeing from Steve Clark now. I think that is probably more of a likely scenario rather than the players that he had at his disposal far outweighing the ones that we have now in terms of quality. So I don't think that the stats that he's he's got there are particularly down to his players only. I think that surely the way that he has put them together, because he played the three, didn't he? He played the, the wing-back system yeah. and he was having to... And he played Craig Burley out in the right at stages and, yeah, looking at it in black and white, I, I don't go along with him that the players that we that he had were much better than the ones that we failed with in, in subsequent years. I think that it's probably down to him and how he managed to manipulate and gear and, and g them up. I think that was one massive uh, plus for Craig Brown. I think his man management is is something that's revered, isn't it? How he could make players feel like they were ten times better than they actually were. I think that's maybe more of an accurate reflection. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, yeah, he's, he also left Scotland and had a brief um, spell in club of football. He went to Preston um, for a couple of years, um, bit of a mixed bag. Um, didn't get them in the playoffs, but was, they were well clear relegation night as well. And had Ricardo Fuller so, so from under his nose, he likes telling that story. Um, although he succeeded Jim Gann and took them up to fourth qualify for um, Europa League, and they were in a playoff round but lost to the Dents. And Aberdeen, um, he basically, as far as I'm concerned, saved him from relegation because Mark McGee was taking him down and he put building <laughs> bottles in place before Dick McInnes comes in. But obviously, you know more as the Scotland manager because that's um, what you're invested in. Um, when you think about the last... I mean, I remember... Was obviously, I'm a good bit older than you. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some criticism of Craig Brown, you know, before he left and stuff like that. And, um, you know, some people say it was a failure at France 98, for example, not getting out of the group stage. But when you look at the fact that we went two decades without um, being at a major finals, it's only now, really, that he, he feels always getting that people feel always getting the recognition he deserves. Do you go along with that? Yeah. France 98 being a failure is is not not right. Mm-hmm. I think that Scotland fans classically are very myopic about this and the Mor- Morocco, I think back then you might, well if you're you are older than me John, you might be able to remember more accurately but I would say that we probably approached that game as fans thinking that we were better than them because we don't know much about them. Is that probably a fair way of, of looking at it? Yeah, I think because um, 
we only lost one by one goal to uh, Brazil and drew with Norway, whereas they drew with Norway and lost by three goals to Brazil. I think the assumption was uh, we'll be all right. Um, but I think a lot of people underestimated how good this Morocco team and how fast they were. And a boy Hadji, didn't they? That was pretty good. Yeah, and the front two Basir and uh, Hada were um, lightning, to be fair. And I think against an aging um, back three, it was just one game too far, I think, on yeah. reflection. And look, we, we were very close to getting a result from Brazil. And we drew against the team that then subsequently beat Brazil. So it was a bit of a roundabout that group, wasn't it? Norway beat Brazil 2 1 in the mm-hmm. final group game. So, yeah, yeah it, it was swings and roundabouts. So I, I don't think that it can be classed as a failure. I think that maybe just naturally things come to an end. Mm-hmm. You saw it yourself just with Aberdeen a couple of seasons ago. McKinnis, very, very successful. And it just naturally draws to a conclusion. I think that Craig Brown had been involved with the national team for gosh, what, six, 15 years or so at that point uh, in some uh, basis or another. Yeah, yeah, from 85 to 2001 um, he'd been involved with the SFA as assistant and then yeah. obviously um, as first team manager so yeah, you're not far off. Yeah. So, and, and his time spent as first team manager was pretty lengthy in itself all things considered wasn't it so I, th- I think that naturally some things just run their course um I'd, i would i would take to think what it would what it would or could have been like had the same platforms been available then as they are now uh, that would that would be quite tiresome wouldn't it but i don't i, I don't think and don't expect craig's tenure to be looked back on as a failure i i, I think that would be incredibly harsh i think and it's all ifs, ifs and buts, isn't it? But if if we had taken England to extra time or turned that around at Wembley, that would be our finest hour of all time. Of all time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we let it slip against Belgium in the next group stage and we didn't recover from that, which I think still pained him. I remember I remember now actually talking to him about that. That was a sore topic for him. But yeah, I, th- I think that categorising it all as a, a failure would be would be terribly harsh. There, like every yeah. tenure, there it had its high points, it had its nearly moments, and it had its nightmares. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I say, it was just the reaction at the time was that France night specifically was a failure. But I think overall, people ex- um, accept that Craig had done a pretty good job. I mean, you consider that he took us to two consecutive finals, one of only two managers to do that. The other being his predecessor is um, pretty good going. Um, so we'll wrap up with a little quiz um, that I warned you about. And um, I've gone in Hamden North there with a couple of them. So we've got <laughs> two higher or lower questions. So the first one is regarding Scotland goals scored um, on, no, throughout Craig. This, these all based in Craig Brown's 70 games, not the... Um, caretaker game we had against Italy. So who scored the most goals? Um Gordon Jury or Dan Jackson? Jury. The correct answer is actually Dan Jackson. He scored four is goals it? and Gordon Jury scored three. Yeah, so overall is Jury was about... is, is that the most of all players or just those two? No, just those two. The other oh, guys have got other questions, yeah. Okay. You can tell I've done it harder for you. <laughs> <laughs> um in terms of caps, and you know, again, this is specifically only to those seventy games of um, Craig Brown, um, Jim Leighton or Kevin Gallagher? Mm, right. Well, Gordon played a lot, didn't he? Gallagher must have come into the team after the title. 
But then he came. Did, he, did Gallagher not come back into the team during qualifying for '98? Like he, he wasn't always there. So, but then he must have continued playing after that for a stage. Whereas I don't know if Jim Leighton did. I'm going. Leighton's got a shitload of caps. So I'm going to say Leighton. Yeah, Jim Leighton got thirty-three caps. Kevin Gallagher thirty-five. Oh uh, my God! Get out. <laughs> to, to be fair, I mean, um, Kevin Gallagher had that um, that leg break and then a second leg injury. Um, and but Jim Leighton retired after um, the second game of the year two thousand qualifying. But there was also that little spell where Jim Leighton was ousted for Andy Gorham as well. So it's pretty close. And Gallagher continued till pretty much the last days of Craig Brown. So that's probably where he gets extra caps from. Um, question three: This is just a general nose um, trivia one. Um, Gordon Jury started all three matches at Euro ninety six, but how many qualifiers did he feature in? I'm guessing with that one. I have no idea. Uh, how many teams were in the group? Six? There, there was, um, yeah, there was six teams in the group, so there was yeah. ten matches. Six teams in the group. Uh, Gordon Jury. I really don't know. Five. Well, the answer's actually zero. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I know. I found that real interesting when I was reading up in the book. Um, I could have been really harsh and went with someone else, but yeah. <laughs> um, complete the line-up. Now, I know you threw... Um, England versus Scotland second leg um, to uh-huh. me Neil Doherty for the final you're getting um, the first leg but you only need to name two players from the Hamden game so the team is um, in 3-5-2 formation Neil Sullivan Blank, Colin Hendry Christian Daly, Craig Burley Paul Ritchie, left wing back Barry Ferguson Don Hutchinson, John Collins Blank, Billy Dodds Here were the other two centre halves Colin, sorry, Colin Henry and David Weir. I've just given well, you the answer there. I meant to say Christian Daly. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked up. On that. I wouldn't have picked up on that. But I made these mistakes during the hand and roll quiz as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to well, leave that out. Well, the, the striker <laughs> I was gonna, the striker I was gonna say, where was Gallagher? Yeah, it was, and you get the point. Because yeah. I needed both. I needed both. I can't believe I just. Wait, gave so, you so that. who are the three? So who are the three centre halves then? David Weir, Colin Henry, and Christian Daly. David Weir was the blank. <laughs> there you um, and the bonus question, um, how many goals did Scotland score in Craig Brown's 70 games in charge? And right. the closest um, out of you and the other contributors that gets to the point. Uh, right, you said earlier, 32, 33 wins, was it? Something like that. Uh, yeah. So let's say Scotland average... So that's at least one, two, seven, eight. 32 wins, 18 draws, 21 defeats. Scotland surely scored 106 goals. Your answer is 106. And um, I'll let you know um, when the podcast goes live if you have one or not. So see how it goes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely Andy, not. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, thank you very much um, for your time, sharing your memories um, of your time. Um on your podcast with Craig Brennan, what he meant to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was um, that was good to hear from Dave and Alan briefly, um, and um, obviously Andy from his experience of speaking to Craig and Hamden Roar. Um, and as you'll have heard, um, there was um, a little quiz that I did with Andy, um, which I'm now going to do with you guys, but I'm going to try not to give the answers this time, um, like I did in that um, to one of Andy's questions. So um, it's 
four very um, quick questions and then there's a wee bonus one, so we'll see how we go. Um, so the first two are based on higher or lower. Um, so this is this is all based on Craig Brown's seventy games as permanent Scotland manager, not the um, the game he had as um, temporary manager for the Italy match. So that's not included in these stats that I've managed to dig out. So in terms of goals, Grant, um, who scored the most goals for Scotland? Was it Kevin Gallagher or John Collins? Gallagher. No, he scored seven and John Collins scored eight. And had I included well. <laughs> yeah, had I included the Italy game, it would have been eight all, but we're going permanent and that was the rules. <laughs> um no. Scott, um Ali McCoyster, Scott Booth. Julie McCoyster. Well, Alan McCoy um, scored 19 goals overall for Scotland. Four of them were under Craig Brown. Scott with scored five. Oh. Chris, um, same question, obviously. So, Billy Dodds or Don Hutchison? I'm going to go with Dodds because I think Hutchison tended to get the big goals. Yeah, you're spot on. It was Billy Dodds seven. seven. Don Hutchinson six. So those were all the high scorers in um, Craig Brown's time as um, permanent Scotland manager. Um, in fact, Al McCoy shared the same as Dan Jackson, I think. Um, now we're on to number of caps. Um, Grant, Colin Henry or Tom Boyd? That's a hard one as well. Ouch. I, These are I, all I, deliberately... I, I have a feeling a big deal coming here. Henry was a big... Um, you know, constant in that defence. So, so was Boyd. So was Boyd, yeah. The two, the two absolute stalwarts of the ground here. Oh, that's an absolute stinker. I'll go with Henry because that's my gut instinct. Well, your gut was wrong. Um, Colin Henry had 49 of his 51 caps under Craig Brown and Tom Boyd had 54 of his 72 under Craig Brown. Um, Scott, um, same question, Craig Burley or John Collins? Uh, try to think. Yeah. I didn't mind these. These are awesome. Probably John. You would imagine John Collins. Is that what your final answer is? Yes. John Collins had 43 caps under um, Craig Brown. I think he had 50 overall. But remember, he retired after the England game and Craig Burley nipped in the head his, um, with 45. 45 of his 46, he'd won more under um, better votes. Chris, Paul Lambert or Billy McKinley? Oh. It's got to be Paul Lambert, surely. That's a zero. Paul Lambert had 28 caps, Billy McKinley 29. Oh, come on. That's a terrible what start, by the way. That's... Just, which is extraordinary because obviously Paul Lambert was a European Cup one of What you've got to remember what you've got to remember. Was well, yeah. yeah, true. There was part of that, but also you've got to remember that um Paul Lambert didn't properly come into it till the France ninety eight campaign, whereas McKinley was quite prominent in the year ninety six at times. And um you'll read about um his tales in the book. Yeah. 
um, next year. <laughs> um, this is going really well, guys. Uh, we've got one, one, one right so far between us. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, so a general knowledge trivia. Um, Grant, um, we also mentioned that um, Andy Gorham was withdrawn from France 98. Which goalkeeper was called up to replace him? Leighton obviously was the, the main stalwart, wasn't he? Um, yeah. So there was three goalkeepers. I can think of someone else. I think this was wrong, but I'm going to say Gordon Marshall because it was around about that time. Can I steal? <laughs> no, no stealing, oh, Chris, but you know who it is. It was Sons of Gould. Yeah, correct. It was a Gould, so it was, so it was. And Neil Sullivan. The other one, the other one was Neil Sullivan. Yeah, Neil Sullivan. I was going to say yeah. Neil Sullivan, but I thought that was later on. But Neil uh, Sullivan would have been wrong because he was already injured. Uh, he was already injured. Yeah. I would never have got Gould, to be fair. Scott, um, who scored the last goal of the Craig Brown era in a 2 1 win over Latvia in 2001? Ballard Dodds. It was David Weir. Was it? Yeah, way off. Who to guess that one? <laughs> Do you know? I was going to throw in who scored the first goal in that game, their first goal for Scotland in this game, but I thought that would have been too hard because it was Dougie Friedman. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two cap one Dougie Friedman um, scored in his debut and then played in a five 0 defeat by France and wasn't seen again. Um, Chris, um, how many players were in both the Euro '96 and France '98 squads? So there was 22 players in um, each squad, but how many played and were in both? I'm going to go over right in the middle and say 11. Can we yeah, have a guess? Oh, you can guess, but you're not getting a point. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say 9. I was going to say 10. The answer's 13. Yeah. Shows the continuity as well. Is that 1 out of 9 now? That's bad. <laughs> Can we claim that I got at least a good one? Even though I'm not getting a point. Out of Twenty-two. That's incredible. That, that's some. That, that, yeah. That is a, that is that's good continuity. Yeah. Oh, that's. Right. that's <laughs> yeah. A bad guess to be fair on that. And as you'll have heard, Andy Bars had zero at this point as well. So I think I've been really mean to use both. Um, Teasel. Right. Complete the lineup. Um. So this is where I try not to give easy answers. Um. Yeah. Grant. Um. So. So there's going to be two blanks, and you need to fill in the two to get the point. Grant, um, you get um, Scotland versus Brazil. So the team was Jim Leighton, Colin Calderwood, Colin Hendry, Tom Boyd, Craig Burley, blank, Paul Lambert, blank, John Collins, Gordon Judy, Kevin Gallagher. So one of them is a midfielder, man. Judging by that lineup, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of work the team out. And there's a left wing back if that helps. There's a left wing back as well, right? I'm trying to picture the trying to picture the team. Say the say the defense again. Calder with Henry Boyd. Yeah. Burley. Would Cameron have played then? Colin Cameron random at that time. No, surely not. Surely not. Um, I'm picturing players and I'm struggling here, which is uh, annoying me something badly here. Um, 
going to say Christian Daly. That's when. That came to me, by the way. That was that was just nothing. That was a bit of a fluke, that one. Not getting the other one. I'll have a I'll have a guess, but I, I don't think it was right. Scott Gamble. No, it was Dan Jackson. Because well, Gary McCallum. Seems not bad. Yeah. I was pleased to go daily. Yeah, you still don't get the point. Um, <laughs> oh, good but, Lord, you are really mean. This, this is Christmas, for goodness sake. Yeah, and I'm Scrooge. <laughs> well, I was going to buy a couple points then, at least get one point out of two. I might let you half a point. We'll wait and see how I feel. Um, but Dan Jackson played because, basically, Gary Carlson was injured. And um, I still believe that Craig Burley should have been there and McNamara should have been right wing back, but hey-ho. Um, we did all right in the game. Um Scott, your team um, comes from Scotland, England at Euro 96. Um, so Andy Gorham was in goals. Um, Colin Calderwood, Colin Henry, Tom Boyd. Blank, right wing back, Tosh McKinley. Stuart McCall, Gary McAllister, John Collins, Gordon Judy, blank, up front. Okay. Uh... Seem to remember... Either Stuart McKinney or Brian Urban started that game. I think it's Stuart McKinney. That's correct. That's a great show. And up front, I watched the game. I watched the game recently. I watched the highlights of the game. Up, oh, but the other one's a striker. Mm-hmm. It's not McCoy's because McCoy's comes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because who play who in that squad? Again, I'm throwing between two, and I think I'm going to pick the wrong one. Mm-hmm. It's either Ian Jess, who definitely plays because I remember talking to him about it, or it's either ex motherwell John Spencer, who also definitely plays because he's in the he's in the shot for the first goal. Ian Jess. You're saying Ian Jess your final answer. Am I right? It's one of those two, aren't it? You give me that. <laughs> it's an absolute poker face. John's got right now. John Spencer, because I think you would have told me. You would have told me. John Spencer. John Spencer is correct. Oh, f- that, is that, that should get two points. I know I'm changing the rules here. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I just points. remember the post on the screen. Ian Jess definitely comes on, doesn't he? He came on with about eight minutes to go or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's two names. That. that is that is two fantastic names to pull out. Happy with that. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, but can I just say, Chris, you may be um technical director, but um I'm the quiz master here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chris, you're getting Scotland versus Sweden at Ibrox in 1996, um, qualifier. Um, so love how you've got Ibrox here, by the way. Love it. <laughs> um, Jim Leighton, back three again of calls with Henry and Boyd. Wing-backs, Jackie McNamara, Tosh McKinley. Midfielders, blank, blank, John Collins. Up front, John McGinley, Dan Jackson. He's all... McGinley, remember him? He scored that game. Oh, two midfielders. Great doubling with Dan Jackson for the goal. Two midfielders and you've already given me John Collins. That's even worse. <laughs> 
audio for the folk listening, by the way. <laughs> I can edit the. I'm going to, I know. I'm going to need to pull some names out of the air here because I can't think. Does McStay play in this? Is this one of his last games? I'm, I'm guessing that's a no. I'm staying straight faced over it. Aye, so I see. <laughs> Who else would I play then? That's one of these weird games where you get Tosh McKinley and Brian McGinley. Brian McGinley, he was a referee. No, Brian, sorry, no <laughs> Brian McGinley. Uh, a... like and, and I've just mentioned that um, John McGinley scored the only goal. Oh, yeah, aye, yeah. I was with aye, McGinley. Aye. So, where's McGinley McGinley? Why am I not Brian McGinley? No. Oh, you know what? Let's go Stuart McCall. I can't think of anything else. Let's go McCall McCoyst. Yeah, McCall McStay to be the mix. Aye. Um, <laughs> you'll be kicking yourself because you mentioned McKinley, but you didn't mention the other one, Billy. And, oh, goodness sake, man. And um, because Jackie McNamara played right wing back, who do you think would have played in midfield? Craig Burley. Gary McAllister was suspended because this is where UEFA done us because he should have been suspended for the Estonia game that they were going to give us. But of course, yeah. Lennart Johansson, the sweet, um, the UEFA president from Sweden, um, had a hand in <laughs> McAllister's suspension being carried into this game. Um, but, haha, we won them anyway. So, the scores at the moment, with one question to go, is um, Chris won, Scott won, Grant half. I'm giving you the half See that, point Sweden, see that Sweden game, am I right in saying Larson comes off the bench? You are giving me a half. Yeah. <laughs> that Christmas. must be very hard for you to do that. <laughs> At this time of year, every penny is a prisoner. Absolutely. Yeah, but you're getting a, you're lucky to be getting that, Mister Campbell. <laughs> um. So the pain bonus... on your face. It was like it was like your last penny. Yeah. to give me a half point. <laughs> It's like turning the heating up in winter in this energy crisis. <laughs> um, it's like Tom so, Mullen paying for a pint of the Klansman. <laughs> right, so the final question. So um, the closest gets the point and probably the win because Andy Bard at this point is sitting on one as well. Um, <laughs> how many goals did Scotland score in Craig Brown's 70 games in charge? I get the feeling that question would have been on a beat the pundit in the day on the super scoreboard. <laughs> I just need a number. 57. You're going 57. Okay. How many games was it, Joe? So, 70 games we've played, and just to remind you of the um, statistics, so in those 70 games, we won 32, drew 18, lost 21. I'll go 66. That's going 66. I think we'll win a lot of games 1-0, just why I'm a bit lower than Scott's answer. 
that was my thing as well because I remember a few nothing eaches in there. Mm. Right, but I'm going to balance that out because I remember I mentioned this the last time I was on the podcast actually that I was at the last time that Scotland had had qualified for the game to spare and we got to beat San Marino five 0 So <laughs> that'll pump it up a bit. I'm going to go seventy five. Couple more than the games upward. Okay, so the answer is eighty five. Was it? When is that? That's quite a lot. I believe that. Yeah. So Chris, you were by far the closest with ten, um by being ten out. Um Andy guessed 106, which is 21 out. Grant had um six six which is nineteen out, and Scott was fifty seven, which is twenty-eight out. So yeah, as you rightly say, there was a lot of low-scoring games, um, but there was the occasional. Like we put um, five past Pharaohs and San Marino in that mm-hmm. campaign, which probably helped bump up a bit. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, congratulations, Chris! You um, win by two points to one, one and a half. That's so, totally undeserved because, like I said, Scott pulling those names at the heart was was worth a two-pointer for me. Yeah, well, you're not the rule maker. I know. Um, so I'll take it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you've that's the second jammy quiz that you've won this year, but um, and you also beat Andy in the last one because he gifted you Lawrence Shankland. Um, it did, yes, it, uh, yes. Oh, so apologies to Andy. Uh, at least that's when you haven't gifted me anything. Yeah. It was John that was doing the gifting this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I handed Andy a gift. Um, but to be fair, I was kind of mean with the rest of the questions. So apologies if that was too tough for you guys, but I'll. I'll Bear that in mind next time. Um, right, so listen, thanks. Thank you, Chris Grant Scott, for sharing your memories of Craig Brown, and thanks to everyone else who's contributed and listened. Uh, we leave you now with an excerpt of our interview with Craig three years ago, um, previewing your 2020 playoff against Serbia, where he raved about Steve Clark and gave an insight into Clark's sense of humour. Just one of the many great stories that Mrs. Brown has told us over the rest uh, over the years. Rest in peace, Craig. And it's fitting the last word is with him. Again, I wouldn't be uh, presumptuous and try and pick Steve Clark's team. I've let him pick it and I'll, and I'll support it, whatever he picks, because I respect him. I think he's an excellent manager, nice guy. And uh, although he looks a bit dour at times, he's got a good sense of humour. I can yeah. tell you his sense of humour. Uh, I'm, I'm extending your podcast a bit too much, but Perfect. when you get the score... When you get the Scotland job, you know, I lived in the air for years and I had a wee soft spot for Air United because I lived in there. And Steve knew that because he's a commandment man. And I've got to take you back about two, three years ago when the Scottish Cup air played Ockham Lake Talbot and Ockham Lake beat the air in the cup. Yeah. So I said to Stevie, quite joking when he got the Scotland job, I said, Stevie, what was it like being manager of the second best team in Ayrshire? <laughs> Come on, he says, the third best. Did Ockham Lake Talbot not beat your mum? And I thought that was very good. <laughs> and, and I thought that, that that was really quick. He said, he reminded me of the third best. But uh, no, so Stevie's got a good sense of humour. And I'll tell you what, what I feel about him. He's a football guy. You know, he's steeped in football. His family's the same. His brother Paul, and good player Paul at centre half for, uh, for Kilmarnock in the past as well. So I, I've got great faith in what Steve Clark is doing and is going to do with Scotland and I would not for one minute pick his team for him.